Welcome aboard, everybody. It's Friday. All bets are off Friday. Really looking forward to today's show. It's going to be fun. We got, uh, we've got uh, a great uh, list of guests today. We do. Including Gabby, Bruce Boudreaux, head coach of the Vancouver Canucks. Doug McLean is on board for his Friday hit. He'll be coming to us from Columbus where he an- is anticipating Rick Nash night. Yeah, that's cool. Really cool. And also in the in the uh in the back hour referee former NHL referee Tim Peel who I think uh will be a a really good guest today for a number of reasons including some battles that we're seeing between officials and per se the Tampa Bay Lightning yeah where John Cooper got thrown out of a game when was the last time we we saw a coach thrown out of a game must have done something terrible, you would think, except not really. I don't know. Yeah. Well, we'll get into that uh, later on in the show. And wherever you're picking us up, whether it is on Sportsnet 590, The Fan, or podcast, or our YouTube channel, we're glad you're along for the ride. And it's been a great week, uh, uh, especially on Sportsnet's YouTube channel, where we follow uh, the chats, which have been great. We want you to feel that if you are involved in the chats and we're going to also have uh, uh, tweet questions and answers at the end uh, show Ali is here uh, along for the ride while Sammy enjoys his uh, R&R in Florida <laughs> what a guy eh? I guess March break all the kids get a March break Sammy McKee wherever you are for putting right now we wish you a good time and let, let the record show that you gave him a driver to go use down there <laughs> yes. banging yes. around the old ping but as far as the chats are concerned, feel like you're part of this show. It's just not me and JB here or show or Sammy. You guys are involved. If there uh, maybe even a question you want to ask, fire it away. If we see it, we'll mention it. Uh, this is your show as much as it is ours. Uh, right, Dan- JB? Danarchist likes your toque. All right. Yeah. There's someone else, uh, Jeremiah Maxwell, noting that the Penguins get all the calls, much like John Cooper complained. We will be discussing all these things. All of them. So, welcome aboard. Okay, let's uh, do some house cleaning on the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, Another off day Mm -hmm. as they prepare for the Vancouver Canucks. As we just mentioned moments ago, uh, head coach Bruce Boudreaux will be along uh, later on in the hour. We'll get a, a ton with him. But as far as the Leafs are concerned, they are coming off that Buffalo game and... What awaits them against the Vancouver Canucks? And a couple of tweaks, JB, in the lineup. Yeah, so uh, the Canucks coming in, they're 19-8-4 since Boudreaux took over. So they got a pretty good uh, matchup coming up. And so the the Leafs are looking to respond by moving Nick Robertson up to the second line with John Tavares and William Nylander. What? What am I missing? Why, 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 Why? Okay, your first thoughts right off the top of your cap. They're juicing them to trade them. Okay. <laughs> that's, I mean, if you're being, if I'm being honest yeah. and we should, cause people want opinions. That's my honest opinion. I don't, I think they are putting him in a position to succeed. If you ask them, that's how they would phrase it, phrase it, right? Give him a chance to succeed. He's not going to score points on the fourth line, play in six minutes with Wayne Simmons. If he's a score, put him with other scores, give him a chance to have success. So we can trade him. 
Yeah. I, I, I don't get that part, JB. What's that? I see. I don't see a position to succeed. With I John see- and Willie? You'd get a couple playing there. No, no, I don't think it's that easy. No. I don't think Nick Robertson's game is good enough now to be a top six forward in the National Hockey League. You? No, definitely not. Okay, so what what are we doing here then? I think it puts him in a position, how about this, to get points. It puts him in a better position to pass the puck to Willie or John and make a play or to find so, him for an open look. Or- so what you're saying is let's assume that other NHL teams won't send their scouts to watch Nick Robertson, but we'll look at the box score the next day Doesn't and trade hurt. for him. Doesn't hurt. You know, if you're going to trade for a guy and go, ah, he's got three points and, and you know, or whatever, I, I, it helps. You're right, though. They're going to watch if you're trading for him. Here's the thing, though, Nick. He can shoot it in the net. So these guys are more likely to find him in a spot where he can use the asset or showcase the asset. And again, I don't think they're trading him because they want to trade him because he's, he's the most valuable prospect they have. This is the player in me now okay. that thinks about the dynamics of an NHL dressing room. And for every action, there is a reaction. Mm-hmm. I'm not the biggest Kerfoot fan out there, mm-hmm. but I do have a ton of respect of what he's done so far this season. He's having a great season. Okay, so let me get this straight. Tavares mm-hmm. and Nylander are struggling. Nick Robertson. Struggling. Struggling. And I have to go to the fourth line? Really? Well. Really? <laughs> really? Yes. Well, he's so not exactly he's been not on good. fire. He's not good. He's not ready. And I'm going to the fourth line. I think that's bull. Yep. But you know what? Kerfoot is one of the few guys on this hockey team that you can move around, that you can tell. Well, whether you can or not, he's a guy who, I don't want to say I'm he feels sorry. expendable, but he is the guy. I'm sorry, but that, that's not sitting well with Kerfoot. Yeah. It's not. I, I just don't feel like they're, they care. I feel like they care they about They should God. care because that might be another guy you could lose. Yeah. You don't. You can't afford. You, you can't afford to lose any more guys. Do you mean after the season or in season? In mentally? season, mentally, yeah. emotionally. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. Find a better solution. Like I've played my ass off. Yeah. Okay. And actually, I I've was had like, a good he, season. He's at four I'm points getting in the demoted. Last four games. I'm getting demoted here. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how this works. Like, how much of this is a boost for Robertson's confidence and ego and whatever? Because the last uh, two of the last three games, Alex Kerfoot has played over 17 minutes for them. If you play on the fourth line for the Toronto Maple Leafs, you play 10, 8, 9, somewhere in that range. Are they going to have Kerfoot play 8, 9, 10 minutes? Yeah. No. So I feel like they, it'll start this way. And Somebody's got to, for Nick Robertson to get... Pumped up. Yeah, someone has to get dropped. Someone else has to take the brunt of it, and it looks to me like it's going to be Kerfoot. What's interesting is on the back end, they kind of sub guys in, sub guys out, right? Like 
It's Dermot, it's Lilligren, yeah. it's Sandine, it's Hall. They all take turns watching, and everyone kind of knows it's a carousel. But it's why, not, why can the forwards not accept some level of demotion? Or, or stop with the carousel. It's a BS carousel. Yeah. We are in a, a reward system still. You play well, you get rewarded. You don't, you get demoted. That's, on the surface, the way it should work. When you start pumping people up yeah. artificially like this, you get yourself in big trouble. Well, this is, yeah, I, I agree. The, this is the, the first guy. So Robertson is the first guy this year that I would say he's failing upwards. Okay. He wasn't lighting it up in we, the American League. He wasn't lighting it up in the fourth line. They keep being like, what if we put him higher? Yeah. They have we, a habit of doing that. With Matthews and Marner next game. We, did we not see this at the end of last year with Sandine over Morgan Riley on the power play? Good point. Did it's we not good, see it already? Where, where, where you just you put him in a position where he wasn't quite ready for it, and he got overwhelmed, and the next thing you know, you're out of the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, you know, and Morgan Riley has to sit there and go, hey, "Listen, I may not be that good, but I'm better than Sandine, a rookie who is not ready for this." Yeah. So it's the one area that I am somewhat critical of Sheldon Keith is, you know, I think there's some panic in playoffs where. You know, I was with him one year when we switched to a neutral zone forecheck we had never used in the whole season because of the way a couple plays shook out. I saw him put uh, Marner, Nylander, and Matthews together, or whoever the three guys were against Columbus, who had never played together that season. We saw Sandine play power play one uh, in the playoffs, who had never taken that for any meaningful stretch of time with that unit last season. So getting into playoffs, we have seen him react a, a little desperately at times. This bringing guys up the the roster who haven't earned it to me feels like a Dubas thing, and it's why I think my first instinct is like must be trade related because otherwise yes. it makes no sense. Uh, on face. You're a hundred percent. That is so crystal clear right now. If it wasn't before for some, yeah, yeah, and he's a, he's a nice piece. I'm sure his future is still bright. So if it's going to happen, hopefully he. That's just something that they need. Like a D-man, which he mentioned in his press conference, if we're going to do anything, that may be the direction they would lean. As you mentioned, uh, press conference today for Kyle Dubas on location. Hamilton, of course, the outdoor game coming up. Mm-hmm. You know, Dubas, if you follow him on any sort of social media or talk to him in person, he'll give you an Oski wee-wee. Big Hamilton guy. Season ticket holders, I think, for the Ticats. Yeah, and he did mention that today, but he also mentioned... He's a little down after that Buffalo game. Quiet stretch here for John and William, at least when it comes to the offensive side. What, how do you assess that second line and the, the depth offense in general? Well, I've been really happy with the, the line of McKay of Camp Engvall the last uh, couple nights. Well, I've been really happy with the the line of McKay of Camp Engvall the last. Uh, well, I've been really happy with the the line of McKay <laughs> of Camp Engvall the last uh, couple nights. He's nervous. He's stuttering. I think, you know, <laughs> in Washington, I thought you know John's play won us the game. You know, he and Justin Hall combined to make that play to Sandine at the end. Um, you know, I, I think John and William Nylander. You know, if you look at their totals of the whole season, they're they're still on pace to have excellent. I was okay. obviously just really disappointed on Wednesday night. I was most disappointed go. in the fact That's that the in one. the third period we didn't make any type of push. Uh, Buffalo, you know, both we like, it shouldn't be a surprise that they're going to play us really well. We went in there in, in November, and and they gave us fits in that game. And now Donnie Granado and their staff have had more time to kind of build in the way they want. If you're a Buffalo fan, 
and coming in here in, in a week and a half, we have to be thrilled with the, with how hard they're playing. And I mean, to me, they're they're laying, you know, in front of slap shots, blocking them, and just at a different level of desperation than we had. So, um, to me, I just think you know that's the second time in, in a week and a half where we've played a team where, whether we, for whatever reason, I mean, in Montreal and at home against Buffalo, where. You know, I, I think we just expect that it's going to be easy, and then in this league, it's not. Disimpo- disappointed. Yeah. Did, in dis- the push. Yeah, no, that, no push in the third is period. It, is that a, another way of saying we were soft? <laughs> I think it's a way of, of saying what Keith said last game, which is no competitiveness, right? Like, there was no, oh, we're down, it's Buffalo, we're at home, the fans are in the building for once, let's give them a little... No, there was no rally, there's no moment where you're like, here they come. It just kind of, the clock just ran out. It just, the sands just kept going through the hourglass till the end of the game, so... Leaves a little something to be desired, I think. And we talked about that. It's really not a uh, a subject that you'd hope that would come up 50 games into the season. And this is what gets me is that we are now watching. And maybe it goes to your point the other day about a certain time in the schedule. Maybe the boys are a little fatigued, uh, mentally tired because we are seeing top teams out there, especially this week playing down to their opponents. Yeah. Montreal beats Calgary last night. Tampa Bay lays an egg to Pittsburgh last night. Arizona beats Colorado for, I think, the second time this year. It's a good reminder that it does happen. To it even does the happen. Teams. But as I'm watching those teams frustrated or not having it, I'm going. also watching Braden Point go after Latang. Yeah. I'm also watching Landis Cog battle. Jacob Chikrin right to the very end last night. You watch- I'm watching Nathan McKinnon yeah. go down with a fight last night to Arizona, which in some weird way could even bring Colorado closer together off a stupid bad loss to one of the worst teams in the league. Yeah. But not the Leafs. They don't want to go down that way. They want to go down the way Kyle is disappointed. Yeah. No, you're right. It's a clear difference. And, and watching, I mean, watching Tampa Bay and the way they've handled themselves in the past couple of games, it hasn't mattered that Tampa Bay, whether they were playing Ottawa or they were playing Pittsburgh, you know, they've been there to rally. It's interesting too, because, you know, watching some of the best teams in the Leafs division. So we're talking about Tampa go at teams regardless, you know, they don't want to go down without a fight. You know, last night, uh, Josh Brown on Ottawa runs over Ryan Lomberg and before he can get untangled from, from him, he's fighting two guys. Two separate Florida Panthers are gloves off, and he's trying to manage both tilts at once. It's like, you know, there's... What do you think of the hit? As uh, late as they late, thought? Yeah, I thought it was pretty late. I, You know, as much as I want to cheer for a good hit, I thought that one was... The puck was clearly gone. You liked it? <laughs> I, I, it was close. Yeah. I think it was close. He chipped it, and he finished his check. Definitely one that, I don't know, 15 Anyways. years ago, you're like, yeah, it's fine. Um, so yeah, that is a thing. That's still a little bit of a frustration with the Leafs. Is it going to matter? Maybe probably. So last night also, uh, we mentioned off the top of the show, Tampa Bay goes down to Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. You could see a very animated John Cooper on the bench. Yeah. He clearly thought 
His team was getting the short end of the stick on a power play. And he gets tossed. Yeah. Which, I I don't know. I mean, it's like, am I watching a baseball game? Did the umpire just throw out to the manager? <laughs> well, I mean, it truly. That's it's... a normal look in baseball, not right. on not in hockey. No, usually it has to be pretty unhinged. You know, referees and coaches in hockey have long relationships, right? Like, it's the, I don't know how many officials there are in the league, but it ain't that many. Everyone knows each other pretty well. You go through these sort of conversations. All right, he's hot. He'll calm down. I can't remember the last time a coach just got yelled at for being a meanie or whatever Cooper did last night. Let's get John Cooper's take on getting ejected from last night's Penn's lightning game. What was the issue that, that the explanation that you didn't like the most, I guess, what had elected to... The... It, it was... I was in shock that we were shorthanded. Um, you know, that team, they don't take... For some reason, they're by far the lowest penalized team in the league. I'm not sure why, but they are. And, and uh, you know, for us to go down again, to be short out of, out of that situation, it was a little frustrating. But, you know, the number four goes over and... and uh, he goes to their bench and gives them an explanation, whatever he did, never came to ours. So now, you know, I would have, would have liked courtesy there, but I'm just, I'm not so sure in all the years, like what I said is something like he'd never heard before in his history of refing. What was the explanation you got for the extra penalty? Was it? I don't know. I got, it was an arm pointing to the exit that was the explanation i got there i guess asked their coach he got an explanation i didn't so i think i think there was three three referees so far this season that have been fined by the league oh think, really for comments yeah three coaches three that have coaches been, okay, sorry yeah, yeah. what did i say referees i thought yeah. no no whatever. whatever three coaches sorry um but none of them i don't think are thrown out of the game right the sense I'm getting is that John Cooper's right. I'm not sure he said anything completely out of the ordinary. The feeling is now, uh, according to the re- the report, there isn't anything there that the league has to fine him or suspend him. I think it was abuse of the official. but uh, And the referee he was speaking of was Wes McCauley. Oh, man, he's been through it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. You know, there's three coaches I think of in the NHL that have a very particular way of complaining about the refs without doing it in a, in a way that'll get them fined. Paul Maurice has got that kind of smarmy short delivery. Daryl Sutter has got the very dismissive sort of way. And Cooper, you can hear all the things he's thinking as he's talking, just about how ridiculous it is. You know, they're you know basically saying their coach got an explanation I didn't. He didn't feel like he was respected, right? Like he didn't get the get walked through what happened. What was the explanation you got? Well, I got an arm, you know, which is, yeah. you know, what do you guys think about that? Was that fair treatment? I, I think he he's making it clear that he thinks that Macaulay is an issue. I also love the barb to, at Pittsburgh where he's like, they're the least penalized team in the league. I'm not sure why. <laughs> <You know? laughs> he's saying, I don't think they play clean. And I think we know that their superstars probably have something to do with it. We've got Doug McLean, former General manager, president, and NHL coach, um, and I'm I'm interested to uh, get his take on that. Uh, there is a sense, as John Cooper kind of alluded to, and they are the least penalty penalty uh, or penalized team. Yep. Now, is that Sidney Crosby 
preferential treatment? Is it uh, squeaky wheel gets the oil when it comes to the Edmonton Oilers on non-calls on Connor McDavid? Yeah. And guess who leads the league in draw penalties this year? It's McDavid by miles. <laughs> it is. He's up like seven on the next does it guy. Work? It's, does it work? Yes, it does work. There is a McJesus. reason people continue to complain. Uh, it does have some influence with the officials. But, you know, these are games. And, and last night I get Tampa Bay. You know, that's a big game against a Pittsburgh team that they may end up seeing in the conference finals, right? That's a potential opponent. But I, I just thought, like, the, their ability to rise up, even against Ottawa the night before, really speaks to something that they have that other teams don't have. Like, how do you not love Braden Point? This guy going toe-to-toe in a game that's, you know, they're out of it four goals, but he's still throwing punches and strong, tough guy. And when we think about the toughest team in the East, everybody points to the Florida Panthers. But, like, God, I'm watching, like, one of the best players in the world and maybe one of the the best clutch playoff performer ever in Braden Point, and he has got fire in his belly. We may be talking about a different definition of toughness. Like, they are not like, if you squared everyone off, who do you think would be standing? Tampa Bay's the team. But their their willingness to do it is as high as anyone's. Is that fair? A hundred percent. Yeah. And I think, you know, to bring it back here in Toronto with the Leafs, that's what people want to see. Willingness. They don't want to see, per se, drop your gloves and two heavyweights going at it and fulfilling a fight card. No. They just want to see that spontaneity of don't mess with me or, you, you know, I'm coming. I'm, I'm, I'm not going away quietly. Yeah. It's the like, it's, it's a Ginla fighting the Cavalier. Is, it's Getzlaff fighting off a draw. Is, it's is Braden Point that much more tougher than John Tavares. I have no idea. I, I mean, not a clue. I have a feeling a lot of people can, are can not John tougher than turn Austin around, Would John turn around and stay in someone's face like that? Or is it just, I mean, we have a, a career's worth of uh, just, evidence that no, is it just a given that that's not the way the Leafs want to beat you? You know, I wrote today about something about, forwards who commit to the defensive side of the puck and become go from being good players to Hall of Famers. And the guys I use as examples are Taves, Kopitar, Bergeron, O'Reilly, Point, and Sidney Crosby, of course. But, you know, these these guys that have a willingness to do whatever beyond personal stats. And I used it as an example for Edmonton and Toronto with McDavid and Matthews trying to get over the hump and trying to have, you know, Matthews is starting to get some Selkie recognition, you know, so he is a guy who seems to be coming around and joining the class of names I just made all are named all the names. I just named one Stanley cups and don't, don't those things to you go hand in hand, a willingness to give up personal stats and play defense. You don't care, but you'll defend to help win a Stanley Cup. You don't care how it goes for you as long as your team wins. It goes hand-in-hand hand with this willingness to not fight, but to be physically involved and protect and stick up for teammates and whatever. It's all in the willingness category to me. And 87's willing. Willing. Jeremiah Maxwell. They don't play clean. And he speaks of Pittsburgh. That's the elephant right. in the room. When 87 can slash a finger off a dude... And there's not only not a call, but no suspension or fine. I love Sid. <laughs> I, I hope he slashes the fingers off everyone's hands. <laughs> I love it. 
To I, win a cup, yeah, slash, I am willing to take your finger off. Love that. If Rob Ray, and hopefully sorry, not get Brad caught. May said he'd fight his own mother. Which, I'd fight my mom to win another. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. Brad May, that could be the line of the year on the Real Kipper and Bourne show. That is, uh, I think that's a, a one seed as it currently sits. We'll rank them. We will. <laughs> we'll, we'll find time. We've we'll, got a few. We'll just make McKee do it while he's We've got a few. Uh, a reminder that uh, we also have in the second hour, uh, Bruce Boudreaux, head coach of the Vancouver Canucks, and Tim Peel, former NHL referee and analyst for Daily Faceoff. And this kind of brings in, I think, a great full circle conversation on John Cooper, what was said, how is it said, when does it warrant a referee throwing a guy out of the game, when it, when it doesn't. There is a whole new discussion now on officials on where is that relationship they have with owners, general managers, coaches, players, the fans. Because as the stakes get higher, I'm starting to hear more and more the referees stink, horrible calls, preferential treatment is way higher, way higher. So God, I think back in the day, I remember as a kid, you know, my dad telling me, yeah, I took you, you know, swimming to Carrie Fraser's house or whatever. Like the refs were buds with the players, with the coaches. And now imagine that. I'm also going to have to ask Tim Peel about his Twitter comment on Mark Shifley. Of course, Mark Shifley uh, suspended after game one in the playoffs last season versus the Montreal Canadiens on a hit on Jake Evans. That brought it around earlier in the week with their game against uh, Winnipeg and Montreal. And then Tim Peel says, zero respect, and I quote his Tim Tim Peel Twitter page, zero respect for Mark Shifley. What he did to Jake Evan, Evans last year was brutal. He he has never had any respect for the officials either. Way to go, Chris uh, Weidman. Much respect for you. First so, off, I love that. Second, I love that we're on YouTube so people can see you do your oh like old lady God. glasses on the tip of your my, nose reading. <laughs> my wife just despises when I do that. You got to read. I mean, it, I get it. It's you need. But I'm the dinosaur. Oh, I am the dinosaur, a hundred percent. But like, I, I. Strong words. Oh, my God. I didn't mean to take away from a guy just saying he supports someone fighting Mark Scheifele because he has no respect for him. Okay, let's not make him wait any longer. Uh, we're on YouTube now, so uh, you're not at the beach, obviously. Doug McLean, let's welcome you into the show. Did your kids used to fall asleep when you were reading to them at night <laughs> when they were at <laughs> That's yes. the worst reading I've ever heard. Well, I can't That's see. The worst reading. You sound like you're reading at a grade three level. I can read. I just can't see anymore. I can't even read. And it's these things. <laughs> oh, okay. They're just. Okay. It's because half my breakfast is on the glasses, I think. Where Where are you? Can we, special, can we put a, a, As you know, I was a special ed teacher for seven years. What are you, you insinuating? That, right? Well, I'm just thinking I could have probably helped you with your reading because I was sort of, that was one of my areas of expertise. We are on YouTube now. So now that I've thoroughly embarrassed Good. myself with my reading, Congratulations. can we put you on? Uh, can we get a camera eventually back to Delray Beach? I have an old camera from the real Kipper show. I okay. still have it. 
All right. So where do we find you right now in Columbus? I can't believe they invited you. Didn't you do enough damage? What? Thirty million worth. <laughs> um, <laughs> listen, um, I'm at where am I, Joe? What's the name of the hotel? Well, don't every, well, what, all, all the fans will go there now if you say it. The Levesque Hotel in downtown Columbus. So I'm very excited. I've got an amazing bottle of red wine that's got Nash 61 on it that was delivered in a box with Doug written on the box. Like, it's kind of nice. A couple of T-shirts with Rick Nash on it. and It's nice. So awesome. I'm excited. Okay. Tomorrow night's the big, uh, the big party. So we will, we will get into that. Um, but first and foremost, we watched last night Tampa Bay. John Cooper got kicked out. And it doesn't appear like he said anything that was off the chart or, or warranted it. We don't expect him to be fined or suspended. So what is going on, Mac, uh, with you know that, that line that apparently Wes McCauley felt got crossed? Have you ever been thrown out of a game? Yes. Th- did game, you throw gum? Uh, game four of the uh, St- in the Stanley Cup playoffs in the first round of the playoffs, Andy Van Helman threw me out. What did you do? Game. I just was yelling at him. <laughs> you know, just mad. I'm on the bench. But I we, mean, we've this, all done this, that. You're asking this question. You're asking this question to a guy who every referee that has written a book, I have at least at least a paragraph about what a jerk I was on the bench or what an idiot I was on the bench. And every every one of them has written a book. They've got a page in there on me, which is pretty embarrassing. Or flattering. I used to be immature on the bench like uh, I was I used to be immature like Cooper was last night, but I've I've matured. You know what? What it is is they, they they get to a point of enough already. I don't want to listen to you anymore. And they just, you know, Wes would have just got sick of him screaming at him. And he just said enough already. And he felt, probably felt he embarrassed him a little bit. And he just said enough of, enough of this. You know, I would think that's what it was. What I mean, he... he did continually go on on the bench. Yeah. He went on and on on the bench. He did. To me, to me, I don't know what he was saying, but he seemed... What did you say, Joe? Joe DeSoto said I was too loud. Um, <laughs> so I'm like I'm like John Cooper. She liked to throw me out. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, I would think he just got sick of listening to him. What is, what is that evolution <laughs> of the relationship with refs and coaches been over the years? Like, I feel like guys used to go out and have drinks together and – I don't know. Maybe it's uh, heightened scrutiny, as uh, Kipper talked about, like with gambling and the. I don't know. W- what has changed with the relationship between refs and coaches I, over the years? I don't ever remember going out and having drinks and beers with the referee. <laughs> All right. I don't ever remember that. I mean, I remember I would look at the game sheet the morning of the game, and I'd go, "Oh no, not him again," or or I would look and go, "Oh great, it's." Uh, it's Kerry Frazier or it's, you know, X number of guys that you knew that you knew you, Tim Peel was one guy. I know, you know, Tim's gotten a little bit of trouble, but I always enjoyed Tim because you could talk to him on the bench. 
you could yell at him, you could talk to him, and he'd just skate over. And you know, I remember, I remember one game I was on the bench, I was screaming like an idiot on the bench, and the linesman was at the the, the blue line right in front of the bench, you know, and he he had his back to us, and he was leaning against the boards, and he said to my team. What's wrong, Doug? Sick and couldn't coach? Not here today? What's what's wrong? Where is he? <laughs> I think jo- just to, you know. In other words, tell me they weren't listening to me. You know. I think John Cooper said he was he was just shocked that they didn't get a power play on that particular play. And do you ever recall like uh, getting to the point where you you're not really thinking? Like, is that how you end up throwing gum at somebody? Yeah, that was at a fan, though. That wasn't a referee. Oh, that's better. That wasn't. <laughs> oh, that good. Wasn't, I'm glad to hear that. I didn't throw. I didn't. No, I didn't throw the gum at them. I was going off the bench, and this fan was screaming in my face is what it was. I was, I was going off the bench in Atlanta, and I happened to be chewing gum, and I spit my gum out. <laughs> Okay, but it happened to come fairly. Wow. Cl- it happened to come fairly close to the fan, and then I remember Newell Brown and I were sitting in the dressing room, and I forget who the other assistant was. It must have been Gerard Gallant sitting in the dressing room between periods, and the police came to the door and they were going to charge me. Really? So I had to go out and apologize. Yeah, yeah. Wow. The police came right to the dressing room between periods for a tire so iron. Spit that I had spit. They said I spit in the fan. I didn't spit in the fan. I spit my gum out. But glad we straightened you know, that out. I had to out. go and apologize to. The, I had to go and apologize to the fan, or I would have been arrested. I feel like you're on the stand right yeah. now. This is great. It wasn't worth it. So you're in in uh, in Columbus right now for the Nash's jersey retirement. Um, you know, obviously you saw him from from the beginning and, and his impact in Columbus. Tell us about what he meant to the city of Columbus and in his career. Um, you know what it means there now. You know what he he meant a lot because we were we were an expansion team. We drafted him in our third draft, um, and we ended up you know we moved up in the draft from three to one to get him, which I dare say would never happen again. That you could you could do that, yeah. Move up in a draft like that. It, it, I don't think you'll ever see it happen again, and. Uh, uh, you know what? What what he meant to Columbus? Let me let me tell you what he meant to Columbus. I I moved to Columbus, Ohio, in 1998, a year and a half before we started to play because we I was working you know work with going building the arena and getting things set up in advance of the a team starting and there was 700 kids playing minor hockey in Columbus, 700 boys, girls, adults, uh, players, and so on and. I looked the other day, I actually phoned the guy that we had set up the AAA program when I was here, and I phoned the guy that runs it, and he sent me the numbers. 7,500 kids, girls, boys, referees, and coaches involved in youth hockey in Columbus, Ohio. So from 700 kids when the Blue Jackets started to 7,500 kids and people playing minor hockey um, to – Columbus kids that complete through the Blue Jackets AAA program that we we started are playing on the Blue Jackets and Ross Levick and and uh, obviously Sean Corrali, a couple other kids, the Sherwood kids are playing in Cleveland. Um, countless number of kids playing Division One college hockey. Columbus has become 
a major hockey market, and I dare say minor hockey market, and I dare say that Rick Nash's impact on the community and, and the Blue Jackets and the fan base was enormous. It really was. I mean, kids wanted to grow up to be Rick Nash. He was that big, um, you know, when I was here in, in the 10 years or so he played for the Blue Jackets. Mac, how no, much? He's had a big impact. He really has. And, and who is the next one to have a major impact on Columbus? Because the issue there, and say what you will about Panarin, Bobrovsky, Seth Jones, you like them, you didn't like them, you thought they were worth it, they're not worth it. They've watched these so-called potential stars fade away out of their organization. How important is it for Yarmo or Yarmo, the general manager or the owner to say, Patrick Liney, say what you will, some faults in his game, whatever. He's a star. He's a goal scorer. And we cannot lose him like we've lost others. Uh, uh, you know what? It's it's always a, a challenge when you're in a smaller market. And Columbus is not a small city. Columbus is a million, million three quarters. It's the biggest city in Ohio. It, it, Columbus, Ohio, three, four times as big as Cincinnati and Cleveland. That's hard to believe population-wise, but it really is. So it's a major market in Ohio. No, it isn't in the U.S., but they cannot afford to lose lining. They can't. They, I was talking to a guy last night about it. I said, we, you know, there's got to be a way that they do not lose Line. They've got to get them signed. Obviously, the, the relationship with Kekalainen and Line, both from Finland, Hope I hope it helps. But they've got to make it so that he is not going to leave here. It, perception is always in a problem. I told you many times about when I was walking through the Toronto airport on the walking escalator and this fan yells to me, it was year three, we were in Columbus. And this fan yelled, hey, McLean, where are you now? And I said, I'm in Columbus. And he said, don't worry, you'll fight your way back to the NHL. <laughs> and, and I went back the next week and I was president of the team at the time. And I said to my marketing VP, I said, I know you think you're doing an unbelievable job marketing our team, but this is what a fan said to me. They don't know Columbus is in the NHL. We have to change that. So it's it's always been a, a challenge. We used to check into hotels, and they, you know, say the Columbus Blue Jackets. They, 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 it, it took a long time for the Columbus Blue Jackets to become known as an NHL franchise. It's unbelievable how it how it was, you know, to me. And but that's just that's that's. Look, I mean, when you've got to sell the game in a community that has never really had hockey before, I remember Clark coming home. Clark was in grade five, first year we're in Columbus, and he came home from school one day and he said, Dad, Dad, this is the first month we were living in Columbus. He said, Dad, hockey's not going to work here. They hate hockey. They love football. They hate hockey. I, I said, oh, Clark, don't say that. <laughs> but anyway, it's, you know, they can't. You know what? I, I agree with you on this. Uh, they can't lose line A. They can't. Unless unless they don't want them, I, and I guarantee you they do, uh, they've got to get them signed. So one place because where... It comes back to what you've been talking about. Yeah. Go ahead. I say one place where they don't have that issue, Doug, is here in Toronto. Uh, the scrutiny, a little bit intense, as you are well aware. Um, and they, they haven't had a, a couple of 
awesome performances lately. They had that game, stinker against Buffalo the other night. They had a bad one against Montreal the week before. And Kipper and I have been talking about willingness and not fighting necessarily, but this team's sort of, they just roll over when they're down. Like, you know, there's no pushback and Dubas complained about that today. You know, do you think willingness is something that this team can be coached to do, talked into, or is it just sort of a natural mindset you have to have? And keep in mind, there's 30 games to go here. We got to fix it. I think I think it's it's the personnel. I mean, I, I think it's look if 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 right now when you watch them, if Matthews' line doesn't score, they have a hard time winning a game. Well, you know, and I know that when you go into playoffs, that's not going to fly because they are going to go after Matthews and Marner, the team, and it'll be the one hundred percent focus. I remember coaching. You know, when we coached against the Legion of Doom in Philadelphia, or we coached against Yager and Mario, when you only had to shut down one line with the Panthers, we used to love that. I used to say to them in the dressing room, I, I remember saying to Tommy Fitzgerald and Billy Lindsay and Dave Lowry and those guys saying, when this series is over, I want Mario and Yager to hate hockey. I want them to hate the game because I want us to be on them and in their face so bad that they want to quit hockey. And, I mean, we were close, I'm telling you, to making them hate hockey the way we played them. Because you go after, you can go out, you can, you can shut down guys if it is one line in the playoffs. And they've got to get away. They, they need the Tavares line, whatever they have to do, they need that line scoring. Somehow, some way, and they need a third line. You, you guys know better than I do how important third lines are at playoff time. How many years have we talked about third lines at playoff time being major contributors? They, the they big see, guys get shut down. They seem to be fine with Camp, Kasha, Mikheyev. Love it. <laughs> but the problem is now is that third line kind of looks I'm like not. a second line. Well, because you feel like they're untested. Yeah, I'm not. Because they're untested? Yeah, I, I, I'm not, I mean, I think they're fine because they're, they're skilled guys that play hard, they play fast. I just think at playoff time, I just haven't seen enough from them to convince me they're going to be an effective line at playoff time. I hope I'm wrong. And, you know, I, I hope I'm wrong on that, but I don't see them as an effective third-style line at playoff time. I just don't. So, I mean, do they remind you of the third line in Tampa last year? Uh, no. No, they don't. Do they mind you of a third line on other teams that you've seen at playoff time? St. Louis? And play an important. Yeah, no. exactly. No. And, and Lars Ellers? Third yeah. line in Washington? Probably yeah. not. Well, thanks for yeah. cheering us so, up. You know, that, I'm not with you guys. No, I mean, I think there's 30, yeah. there's 30 games. Yeah. You know? Say hi to Rick Nash you know for Jill us. what just said to me? No, what? You know what Bill just said? Bill just went blah 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 okay. out of the bathroom. Can, can you can you can you tell Jill that blah 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 is good enough to be on our show next week? We'll take her instead of you. Jill, Jill, they just said the blah 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 would be better than having me on the show. They'd like to have you on next week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Guys, thanks for having me on. Yes. I really appreciate it. Have a great thanks, uh, weekend. Enjoy it. Rick Nash night. Doug McLean. 
I mean, Jill probably does have some good Doug McLean yeah, stories. We could sure probably do. have a decent block. Steve Hill in the chat says, hey, boys, love the show. Keep up the great work. My question stems from yesterday's conversation about Tavares slumping. Kipper is a player who suffered multiple concussions. Could that be the cause? There is a possibility that there could be some, I don't know. I mean, he took a huge hit last year. Yeah. You can't just can't just chug it away, right? Yeah. Uh, I guess the only pushback there is he started good, right? Like he, he's had runs of good play here earlier in the year. He's, what is he, near a point per game or something? He had to be playing decent at some yeah. point. So I, it's impo- impossible to really know exactly, but sure. I mean, it's among now, the theories. Did did he is was he one of uh, did he get COVID? Because I just didn't everyone but Matthews. I, I don't think, know. I think literally everyone on the Leafs has, has had, had it, but Matthews recently because Matthews yes. did have it before the season right. started. Right in this season. See, the other thing too is for some of these athletes, if you've had it, how much of a residual effect could it have on you right. with your energy? For yeah. me, it's his energy that really stands out the most. And he does Keith look did like mention he was sick. He does look like he's lost a bit of a step for me. And could it be flu recently? Could it be uh, a domino effect from going through something like COVID? Zabanajad was horrible coming out of his. Yeah. I, I just I just remember from all the NHL players, he's the one that I, I remember the most who had a, a tough battle yeah. and a long road to come back to be the player that... He well, is Taves, now. Taves had quite a fight, too. Taves shut it down. Yeah. Right? I mean, you know, all this really highlights for me is how fine the line is for these guys between being great, being awesome, and just being average or worse. Like, if Tavares has felt a little under the weather and he looks this much worse, yeah. but he's healthy and next week he's awesome again, like, just remember how fine a line it is between greatness in, this, in the NHL and average. 